then at that point i was really interested in kind of moving out of consulting uh, or freelancing whatever you want to call it and kind of get into my own product or my own business mm-hmm. again and um, i was looking at saas products that i could kind of acquire on micro acquire if you've heard of micro acquire and other platforms and then i saw um, i saw atomic fusion on micro acquire and i was like is this for real and then i got in touch with the with neil the guy who built it initially and and uh, we really hit it off uh, we both liked each other you know, it was a great chemistry and uh, and we just went through so june this year i think yeah it was june uh, that's when you know the entire process was done and i i took over and he's been really amazing he's been a great support and we were able to kind of uh, grow things from there okay wow oh, so you actually you acquired this company you didn't found it I did not found it. Hey Ranjit, how are you? Hey Suraj, I'm good. Hey Ranjit, it's James. Uh we hey, have a meeting before. How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, not too bad. Nice to meet you, man. Where are you Where calling, are you calling from, from today? I'm based in Pune. Uh that's a city close to Mumbai, if you want to. Nice. Of course, of course. Oh, you probably have. <laughs> I, I have heard of it. Yes, I'm, I'm not of James as, but uh, uh-huh. that's awesome. So it must be now like uh, 7 p.m. there. It's 7 p.m. Yeah. So how's your how's your day been so far today? My day has been quite interesting. So today is like uh, so Saturday is kind of like a, a maintenance kind of day. So I okay. I make sure that I'm I'm topping up Atomic Fusion with uh, more content and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, not working on the product, just working around. Right. It. Okay. So like the mar- the marketing side of things. the marketing side of things and um content side of things you know all that stuff okay nice so nice. so what is what is atomic fusion uh for my yeah, benefit and for the benefit of the listeners <laughs> as well so atomic fusion is <clears throat> it started off as something that was um synonymous to github but for the no code world so there's no way to share what you build in no code right because you don't have the code it's no code um so then how do you share the stuff that you build so um so a few people kind of figured out how to do that um using uh some backdoors within bubble so bubble is like the leading no code platform um and then so neil who's who's actually the original creator of tom fusion he built out this you know mvp this this initial product of um, you know that that let bubble developers share what they built and then that grew into a full fledged product and he had like 100 and 150 users on it uh paid users on it and then um, and then that's the point where i took over atomic fusion and then i realized that <clears throat> to have a platform where you can share stuff that's kind of built um for visual development you need to have a very visual way of doing it you can't have you know something exactly like github because github is too code uh, focused so i'm currently in the process of kind of reinventing how that sharing of stuff happens in atomic fusion but in a very visual way so with atomic fusion bubble developers can first of all upload the stuff that they build um secondly share it with the community and thirdly download and reuse stuff that other people have built or stuff that they've built in the past and they've stored in atomic fusion so it's kind of like a dropbox for stuff that you build on bubble okay nice why is it just bubble or do you have plans to kind of expand out to other no code providers uh, or that is that is a possibility so bubble right now because bubble is by far the most um well developed no code platform so you can literally build out a full full on saas um and make and there've been there've been companies built with products built with bubble and they've been there's one that made like uh, that makes 10 million dollars a year in revenue there's one that just just raised like i think 100 million something crazy 50 million something like that so there's it's 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 proven itself to be something that really um can be used as a platform for startups to build products and, and they just typically are these uh, not typically consumer apps are they you know b2b all kinds of stuff or is it the whole mm-hmm. remit yeah it's everything so it's it's more it's more saas 
there's a lot of uh, social media kind of stuff there's a lot of marketplaces e-commerce a lot of stuff so it's it's very flexible so you can literally build out whatever the hell you you really want to do um and it's got like the entire functionality so the full stack can be built out on bubble that's cool i'm just on the website now i'm looking mm -hmm. at all the different block components there's, yeah there's quite a lot of stuff <laughs> here um, yeah so how many people do you have using this runjit so right now it's about 2000 users okay. and we we're trying to get to the 5000 mark in the next couple of months so okay. uh what's the fusion like? is now it's it's we've just made it free uh as of a couple of days back you know so we said like we're going to make it free uh for the next two months until until the first of january yeah um, because we just want to make it very uh friendly to bubblers you know people who use bubble they need to be able to, so so i i realized there was a bunch of barriers in the way uh of atomic fusion because of the limitations that the paid plan had uh, the free plan had versus the paid plan and um i was like you know we need to make this a, a thing atomic fusion should be a thing because it's it's really helpful if, like it's the product has proven itself to me so as a bubbler so i've been bubbling for like four years ish and to so me it's to, like trying to turn bubbling into googling is that the goal <laughs> yeah if we can do that you know atomic fusion does something right yeah well i want i want to i want there to be a point where you know we can we can say people are atomic fusioning something like that nice so actually <laughs> so is that is that goal of five thousand users by january is that quite arbitrary or are you looking to like raise money or i'm so yeah i i might i might have to think about raising money as well that's that's definitely in the back of my mind um but like the idea is that i want to first of all i want to push out uh, a marketplace or at least a beta of a marketplace uh by the end of this year and to do that so when you get into a marketplace you've got the challenge of um supply and demand right? so for a marketplace to work you have to have both and it's sort of a catch-22 because you know you need to know where to put your most of your effort into you know, do you want to create more uh, supply or more demand because one obviously generates the other uh, and it's a cycle so for that i've i've decided to kind of reduce the barriers and make sure that as many people as possible are on the platform because that way everybody gets a lot more value out of it so how do you so you're giving it for free now how do you plan to monetize yeah. it in the future will you just flip it back to a pay plan or yeah it was it was a standard subscription model until last week and uh, i think i i could probably switch back to just that nothing too fancy maybe the marketplace has a slightly different uh business model i i haven't decided exactly what there's a couple of options um but i think the beta will help us figure that out because it really depends on how much people actually uh, are willing to pay and willing to sell things for what were you charging last like last, before you switched to the to being completely free what were you charging yeah so it was uh, a $79 per year. Do you, know, do you not anticipate some kind of friction if, you know, your existing customers or new customers you just onboarded are not paying anything and then you kind of like, oh, you guys, you have to pay now. And I'll be like, what the hell is You know, do you know, anticipate some kind of churn or friction then? There, there might be a churn for sure. There's always a churn when you kind of introduce a pricing uh, plan. But I think um, at that point, we'll be at a place where, you know, people can see the value. And I... If there's one thing I know, I know that people people are willing to pay for stuff that actually gives them value, right? So if I can, um, if 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 I if I can see that there's like thousands of people that are actually benefiting a lot, and like this is speeding up how they build stuff, they build apps uh, on Bubble. I think I think um, they they should be okay with with the price. You can always negate aspects of the churn with uh, having a freemium model, right? Having a free offering and yeah, then kind of exactly. That's exactly what we had until last week, and I think we'd probably switch back to that because, like, you need to you need to show people what they're getting before yeah. they actually pay. Really get it. Yeah. I think for any SaaS, that's that's for most SaaSes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you said this is a marketplace, I guess the the demand and supply the the supply is developers creating components, yeah. and then the supply yeah, yeah. The, the sorry the demand is other developers that want to use those components. Yeah. Okay. So it's a very interesting dynamic, actually. So Bubble is sitting at a place where it's like at the intersection of web app development and web app design. Mm -hmm. These two are like completely independent things, right? You had different uh, people for, for both these tasks earlier. But 
uh, what I'm seeing now is that the entire process of developing a web app can be done by one person. So if that person's from a design background, they kind of approach it a little differently as opposed to someone from a dev background, right? Mm -hmm. So the funny dynamic is that the, the guys from the design background tend to look at it from a more design perspective okay. and, you know, they're creative. So they might, they, they might create things that uh, create assets on bubble that aren't specific to what they are building at the moment because they just love creating stuff. Right. I see. So they, they need an, it's like dribble, right? A lot of people put stuff on dribble just because they love creating stuff. So it's, it's kind of like that for the design minded guys and for the people coming from a dev perspective, they are usually working on something and they want help with that. So it's yeah. kind of a mix of those two and they kind of complement each other in a very interesting way. So that's something that's really cool to, cool to, cool to see on Tomic Fusion. And Ranjit, I guess a bit more high level. How did you, how did you get into this? What, what, uh, made you want to take, take up this idea. I know you said you're a, you were a bubble developer before, so it's yeah. all the inherent value, but what, what's your, what's your story into entre entrepreneurship? So I, I am a jack of all trades, right? So I kind of tend to, uh, get good at something and then get bored of it. So I need to move on to the next thing. <laughs> so when I was me, in college, I used to do a, right. <laughs> so when I was in college, I used to do a lot of different things, had a lot of hobbies and, um, and it was just, it wasn't that easy for me to concentrate on, you know, on one thing. And I did electrical engineering in my, in a, me, me too. <laughs> oh my God. So you know, my pain, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's intense. So I, I, that's, that's when I realized, you know, I, I, I've kind of like this um, mixed bag of interests. And then I, I started exploring things. And when I just got out of my, out of college, I started a, a home automation company, a product company. I, I, I was into electronics back then. Cool. Um, that failed obviously, cause that was my first attempt at anything. And then that evolved into, you know, a B2B, it was a B2C, then I evolved into a B2B thing and then home automation overall just failed. And then, uh, I went for a master's, uh, I went to Manchester for a master's at Hyper Island and that introduced me to like a very, you know, the whole design thinking side of things. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting for me because when you mix, when you go multidisciplinary, right? So you mix my electronics and uh, electrical engineering background with design. Yeah. You get this very interesting, uh, you know, cocktail of, of skills and capabilities. So I was like really interested in both. And then I, I found bubble during my masters. Mm -hmm. So I, I basically created a, like, a, a what do you call the thing? Like you, you interview multiple people at the same time and you study their responses. So kind of like a group discussion kind of thing. Like a focus interview. group kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So I was studying remote work back then and I created this app on bubble and that's, I, that's where I discovered bubble. And I was like, I want to create an app to kind of get all these people from different parts of the world together to interact and track how they interact mm -hmm. and then, you know, get insights from that. And that's what I did. And then after that, I got a lot of, uh, interest from, um, startups asking me to help them build something with bubble because bubble was kind of at its infancy back then. And then over time that grew and about last year, about like September last year, I started working with this Irish startup who built their product and their CTO, um, introduced me to atomic fusion. It was, uh, he introduced me to atomic fusion in like in Jan. Okay. And we started using it within uh, our team there. And then I, I, I was like, I was awestruck by it. It was amazing. Cause it really helped us do things really quick. Mm -hmm. And then at that point I was really interested in kind of moving out of consulting uh, or freelancing, whatever you want to call it and kind of get into my own product or my own business mm -hmm. again. And, um, I was looking at SaaS products that I could kind of acquire on micro acquire, if you've heard of micro acquire and other platforms. And then I saw, um, I saw atomic fusion on micro acquire and I was like, is this for real? And then I got in touch with the, with Neil, the guy who built it initially. And, and, uh, we really hit it off. Uh, we both liked each other. You know, it was great chemistry and, uh, and we just went through. So June this year, I think, yeah, it was June. Uh, that's when, you know, the entire process was done and I, I took over and he's been really amazing. He's been a great support and we were able to kind of, uh, 
no thanks for that. Okay, well. Wow. Oh, so you actually, you acquired this company, you didn't found it. That's I did not found it. Yeah, yeah. So is your, is your strategy to grow it and eventually sell it? Are you looking to kind of get more similar companies under your belt? Or what's your kind of overarching strategy? To be completely honest, I think I am going to start itching to do something new three years down the line. <laughs> That's just me. Um, but I think it'll be really cool to, to grow it to a point where, you know, where it just helps the entire bubble community. Cause that's, that's something that's really, it's, it's really personal to me because, um, that's how I kind of got my break into all of this stuff, you know, so bubble, uh, creating bubble apps and, you know, that kind of stuff that really, you know, gave me a boost in my career. And, uh, I think, I think it's worth giving back to the community. It's been great. Uh, the entire community, my God, they're so amazing. Like the whole beta that we had for the new version that I'm releasing right now, they've been amazing. They give so much feedback. You know, it's kind of like a community effort almost. Uh, Atomic Fusion, what it is right now. So yeah, man. I think that's how all great marketplaces start out, right? Strong yeah. community, people that really love the Sorry. product. And I mean, what's really uh, assuring is that like, you know, you use the product first, then it was a coincidence yeah. that you saw it available to buy. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Is this thing really yeah. getting sold for this price? Are you serious? Yeah. Well, the, awesome. the price wasn't a, that was pretty good price, but I mean, it was, a, it was an app price, but I was mm -hmm. like, why is this guy exiting right now? So yeah. it turns out that he had a, a day job and he was like, you know, he had responsibilities and he knew that he couldn't take it further, but he needed someone. He really needed someone that knew Bubble well. And uh, ideally, was a bubbler. So I think it was a great match. So where is the where is the company domiciled? Because assuming that he he registered it yeah. outside of India, and now you've taken it over and you're in yeah, India. Yeah, yeah. So was there a transfer of the ownership to to India? Or how does it work? So he hadn't incorporated yet. He had okay. started it on his personal. I don't know what you call it in the US. Kind of like a proprietary uh, setup. So right, it was okay. quite simple to me. And I I already have an I have a company here where I do. Uh, my consulting through. So it was quite straightforward to, to kind of shift the asset uh, onto my company. And then uh, the, the real challenge was shifting the, the Stripe, the backend, uh, because the, it, it was paid back then, right? So uh, shifting the payment uh, process to, to Stripe India, that, right, my God, okay. that was a pain in the ass. Right, okay, payments, interesting. Yeah. So each country's got their own regulations. So the, the, um, the American regulations are quite, um, you know, quite chilled out, but in India, it's a little more strict. So there's a lot of more verification. There's a lot of more limits to the things that you can do, et cetera, for security, you know? So, and I can't use, I can't do business with a Stripe account registered in the U S if I'm in India. Right. Okay. So that whole thing. Yeah. The, the, that does sound like a pain in the ass to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it took a month to figure out, but I think it was yeah. okay. Well, probably a month, a month of slow emails and suspense. Oh and my God. It speak to this person and <laughs> waiting lines on the call. You're fifth in the queue. And yeah, you get to first, you get, they hung up on you. And you're like, what? I was, I remember sitting in my bank like so long and I was like, dude, what the hell is happening here? Even making the, you know, making the payment for, for the acquisition. I was like, guys, come on. It's 2022. Uh -huh. So, Ranjit, what's the startup ecosystem like in Pune? Pune is, it's, it's not that hot, but it's, it's something it's, it's more, it's more IT, it's more services. It's more kind of consulting, that kind of thing. Um, Pune is actually, it, it's, it's bigger for manufacturing, you know? So like there's okay. peripheral, um, startups and companies around that. Um, but I think Bangalore is, is really, I probably know that. Bangalore, my God, that place is hot. Where, that's where it's. Uh, I was born quite close to there. I was born in my. I was born in Mysore. Oh, brilliant! Okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll actually uh, we'll keep in touch after this. I mean, we got we got plenty of time now, but I'm actually moving to India in January. Oh, really? So if if I come to Pune, I'll I'll, I'll hit you up and we can oh, meet up. Maybe. Definitely, definitely, definitely. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, it's interesting because we we're trying to. Understand more about the startup ecosystem in the world. So it seems like Bangalore is the place in India where the companies so, are at and technology is getting innovated. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of places actually. So Bangalore is definitely hot. There's also Delhi. Delhi is pretty hot actually. Mm -hmm. There's also Mumbai. 
um and that's that's actually where most unicorns in india are from and that's where the, the entire ecosystem is so if you want to like you know vc connections etc those are the places to be in mumbai okay what about hyderabad hyderabad is also picking up yeah, yeah it's pretty good actually um what kind of trends are we seeing there in terms of you know verticals you know size in terms of, checks sorry, in, in terms of the trends that. we're seeing in the startup ecosystem yeah. there in terms of maybe like size of checks verticals uh, any kind of particular technology really taking off at the moment in india ai definitely taking off in a big way um i see yeah. a lot of product saas product companies coming up so there's a trend uh, of saas companies coming up from bangalore that have uh, uh, an audience exclusively in the us or exclusively in western europe you know that kind of things happening so it's it's very interesting trend um and there's also i think the last 3 or 4 years have been big for um logistics startups but i think that space is getting saturated in india now but it's a huge market is there a big trend of kind of like digitizing and modernizing a lot of these archaic industries yeah i think industry 4 is is big as well um especially because like there's a huge amount of manufacturing happening in india so there's a huge push for industry 4 what kind of things do you guys manufacture in india in india uh, all kinds of things i think it's mostly automobiles there's a lot of um electronics coming up now so iphones are being made in india now samsung's making in india now um they're going to set up some um microchip fabs in india now so there's a lot of stuff happening materials as well right yeah materials a lot of materials you mentioned ai as well any like particularly interesting use cases like vertical such as you know healthcare um more on um, the consumer side anything like that or is it generally just kind of pushing ai into all markets as fast as possible I think it's more it's more b2b and it's it's more kind of like middleware a lot like mm. some of the things that i've heard of are like on those lines um there's a lot of like you know uh, fraud detection for example in finance um algorithmic trading in finance um you know that that kind of stuff the stuff that's not necessarily like uh, doesn't face the mass public but it's you know somewhere within the stack yeah b2b saas right kind of going on behind the layers of everything exactly. else interesting if you're marketing if you're an indian company as you said just previously mm. and you're trying to market to american consumers how do you go about that that's a good What? question uh <laughs> so i i have to actually do that right now uh as i pick up my marketing effort on atomic fusion but um it's it's interesting because like the dynamic is really different i think for american consumers it's like if you show them value right you show them value they buy it so they don't they don't ask questions and they don't this is in my experience they don't um overthink it whereas if you're if you're selling in in a place like um southeast asia or in india even uh people are going to have to think a lot about a lot of things people are going to consider the price point very strongly people are going to consider you know where's the product made who's making the product they look you up you know all that kind of stuff so it's kind of different people come at it differently but uh, I think it's a, it's a different challenge every region is kind of you know they they is little different yeah you're describing the mentality of my father very well actually <laughs> any anytime yeah. we anytime we want to buy anything he says yeah first question is 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 he a con is he is he, is he trying to con you <laughs> can i trust him yeah you exactly know, who, who is that and then i tell him something completely legit like that i'm applying for this job it seems great this is how much yeah. i'm paying and he's like be careful he's not a con have you met him in person <laughs> what is it he works for a corporation like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what i love yeah. most about you man that almost like paranoid you make sure every situation is thought out in detail i'll be ranging on my dad i'll i'll uh-huh. just be there thinking like you know top level like oh we can do this and that and he'll bring yeah. it down to earth and he'll make it a reality yeah, yeah i'll yeah. just i'll be all over the place with him mm. so it's a nice little partnership we got going on Oh yeah, you got to have balance. He's benefiting from the Indian skepticism. That's what you get, James, for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seven years of it and it's already seeping into my mind too. <laughs> so so you you are from Pune or you just moved there or where was I I've I've lived in Pune all my life. I was born in Mumbai, but uh lived in Pune all my life. That's awesome. Uh, so I actually I was born in Mysore, but my family is mainly from Vizag. 
on the east coast. Oh, okay. So I think it's literally about the same latitude. Oh, beautiful just place. Mm-hmm. Exactly east. Have you you've been before? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, nice. I have a very close friend from uh, from Hyderabad, but but his wife is from Vizag, so I went for his wedding in my part. That place is beautiful. Nice. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, li- I'm looking forward. Have, to have you ever lived in another country, Ranji? Have you lived well, anywhere was, else or just in India? Manchester, um, right? Right. Yeah, but that was like six months. Okay. And then I did my thesis yeah. from India. But like, yeah, I've I've had like I've stayed short times in a lot of places. I went backpacking to Europe once. I went on a football tour. I went to every major football stadium. <laughs> wow. In everywhere Europe? but England. Yeah. <laughs> in in everywhere but England because I didn't get a visa for England. On that so we're talking like New, New Camp, San Siro, Burnabout. All that, all that. San Siro, New Camp. Uh, I went to Dortmund. I went to I went to nice. Schalke, Gelsenkirchen. I know all kinds of places, man. Germany, all of it. Netherlands. Yeah, man. A lot of places. Did you see places. any games or you were just visiting the stadiums? I, yeah, so the day I, the day I landed in... Uh, the day I landed in Spain was the day... The last game day basically of the season so i had to look at empty stadiums but that was okay i take it so what on your trip yeah. in europe when you're backpacking did you so what i always find is when i go to another country and i see how things yeah. are done differently it kind of gives you business inspiration you think down different lines how people act how people think what, what yeah. sort of enterprises exist did you have any of that in europe when you came there you thought, hmm, this is interesting how they do things here yeah i think or i, I realized country, any country that stood out amsterdam uh netherlands they don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. It's interesting. That's interesting. Like even from a business perspective, like you know, it's it, they think differently. So like like we were talking about the Indian paranoia. Like I think that's the polar opposite of 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 the Indian paranoia, right? They just so chill. Yeah, it's amazing how chill they are. Yeah. It's necessary for business, right? It's necessary to have kind of a healthy balance of the two. I would say it is. You might have a different opinion. Yeah. I don't know. I, I definitely think you need to balance out everything. Um, I mean, if you if you're if you're not, let's not call it paranoid, but if you're not like alert about stuff, you can be taken for a ride. I've been taken for a ride in Europe as well, so you need to be. I mean, the the Indian paranoia kind of helps in some cases. Is there is there a story there? Is there a story there? Well, look, I. The cab guy took me to a place and then I paid him and then he, he was like, no, you didn't pay me. I was like, dude, I just paid you. He's like, no, you didn't pay me. That was in Italy. Uh, and I was like, dude, I paid you. And he was like, no, but I wasn't going to sit there and fight with him. So I was like, sure. Okay. Was- we, we have stories in cabs too, but I don't think this is a one to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, uh-huh. I actually got taken for a ride in India once in Kaknara oh. near, near Godavari River. Um, okay. I went to get a haircut. And uh, he told me, he says, yes, sir, you know, sir, good, good haircut, good wash, everything like that. And I, okay. Yeah. He says, do you want to be at silver, gold, all this? And I was like, dude, I just want a haircut, to be honest. Like, <laughs> just, just give me a haircut, make it look like this and, you know, let me go. And my friend was with me. He was getting a haircut in the other room. And, you know, he did his haircut, finished in 20 minutes and he was sitting in the waiting area. And he was like, where's Suraj? Like, where, where did he go? Uh-huh. where's he been and i was there for one and a half hours this guy's talking to me and somehow he managed to get me with all this this green stuff on my face like giving me this whole face wash all this all this hoo-ha and i was like i was thinking you didn't ask for that what have i got myself into in the end it was like you know like 300 rupees which for a haircut is like you know yeah. you know we converted to british pounds you know okay whatever but like it's it india 300 rupees in like a place that's like not not that fancy uh-huh. and uh <laughs> I come up like an hour and a half later my friend is looking at me like where the hell were you <laughs> i was like don't ask let's just go even in the uk they'll do that right i've been to places where you get the full treatment with the towel and everything and then some guy will actually come up and start massaging you and they'll kind of take you they'll take you on a ways because mm-hmm. they'll have the towel in your face and you can't see what's happening and the oh guy will be massaging you and he'll just he'll do your arms and he'll do your back and i was like i did not sign up for this yeah and they'll, they'll come on and slap the check 50 cent premium and you come back out of it right because you got the service <laughs> yeah well, well i guess it happens everywhere it's it's true i remember one time in india i was uh going going on a taxi from like agra to delhi or something we were driving mm-hmm. 
and uh, we stopped at, at some stalls and there was a man with a monkey and he was you know he had a monkey and a stick and this and then i was like oh wow I took a picture of him he, he was asking me to take a picture of him so i took a picture he said now give me money <laughs> yeah, so, what, what? so yeah, I, gave, I, gave, I gave him some money thought okay fine whatever it's just business yeah. business <laughs> yeah um, you then just just back to the business do you not yeah. think um do you not think there's a bit of platform risk in terms of you know relying on bubble for all of your business like okay yeah. maybe one day down the line you'll expand out to other uh platforms and no co-providers but is there not that element of risk you know if a competitor supersedes bubble or bubble crashes yeah. or you know any number of situations yeah, yeah. it's definitely a risk 100 well so it's it's all it all comes down to like how much do i how much am i betting on bubble and i think i am betting on bubble big, big time um because i've seen it grow over the last four years and i've seen the things that people have done with it and i've seen it go through its own process of evolution and the direction it takes and in, in general you know so it just seems very promising to me okay yeah like what, what what particular features that you know for any listeners that might want to be kind of building their own mvp or their own products you know why would they choose bubble so there's two sides to it one side to it when i built my first app one side to it was like it manages everything it manages my hosting it manages my you know my connection to my domain you have to set it up the first time but it manages the you know the the load balancing you know managing traffic all of that stuff otherwise if if i was setting stuff up on aws for example there's like 100 things i have to keep track of you know so bubble does that for me for me that that was a big plus because i was creating an app that i wanted you know a bunch of people to use and the second part of it is building stuff on bubble so building stuff on bubble is very very flexible so up to a year back it wasn't as flexible i mean it was super flexible it was the most flexible thing i had seen at that point but they introduced this new responsiveness engine right so it's very very easy to build uh, stuff in bubble that's responsive down to you know an iphone screen so to me that's just that's amazing i mean i've seen stuff like that on wix and stuff but the so bubble adds this layer of you know workflows you can add like very complex workflows onto the stuff that you build on your app you can have you know complex database designs you can have complex api integrations you can expose your own api on your bubble app all of that stuff and all of that put together it's just you know it's a bunch of layers on top of each other and then together they they let you kind of build a super professional app with like a fraction of the effort you know a fraction of the time and also running the app you know you've got all these issues to you know like i said the managing the hosting and all that stuff so what would have taken a team now takes one person would so, you say you still need to be kind of technically versed to be able to use bubble or is it kind of any it's quite approachable anyone can use it anyone can use it but there is a bit of a learning curve okay so i would say if if you're getting started with bubble give it 6 months if you are if you have a background of software uh, and you understand how that stuff works in the back uh back end of things i'd say give yourself 3 months but there's still definitely don't go and run it do you so have any insight oh, sorry james one second i just going to do you have do you have insight on uh, the proportion of new applications that are being built in no code bubble or other compared to code i don't have a number for that but i i did come across uh, a stat that talked about the size of the you know the no code economy in the sense like apps built with no code and it was it was pretty surprising surprisingly high and there was also a trend that talked about like um how much wealth is generated by platforms that provide um you know that allow people to build no code stuff so that's like people like bubble as opposed to how much wealth is generated by apps built on those platforms and the apps built on those platforms are way up there you know so the actual no code platforms themselves they're good they're big they're big companies they you know they're making money and stuff but they're there but then you've got like all these apps and startups built using no code mm. that are you know really generating great uh, so wealth i'm i'm hearing like a, a chicken and egg situation where obviously you know the number of people starting software companies i think is generally um believed to be rapidly increasing you know spurred by many factors one of which is the pandemic so do you think yeah. it's like 
no code is lowering the boundaries for people starting their own applications? Or is it because more people are inclined to turn into entrepreneurship, more and more no code tools are spouted up? I think it's a bit of both. I definitely think like, so when I was, uh, so I think this was 2019, I was uh, reading some paper and it talked about how the gig economy is, is growing really rapidly. And that's basically freelance people who do freelance stuff, you know, and travel the world and whatever. So people who do freelance stuff mainly. And I think that got accelerated by the pandemic. So now everyone's either working remotely or working freelance, you know, that kind of stuff. And because of that, when you're working freelance, you, you always have, because you're more or less self-employed. So you have the option of starting a side business. And a lot of people take that option and it's, and no code is like a no brainer for that. So if you ask me, I would say that's definitely a factor into, uh, as to why no code has grown so much. Uh, and it's also this whole subculture of, you know, hustling and all that stuff. So I think it's a bit of that. A bit of both. Like a perfect storm, right? Perfect storm. Yeah. So is there anything outside? So you said, obviously, uh, in the next three years or so, you probably want to do something else. Are there any kind of other big picture passions that you have, or is it I'm a bubbler for life kind of thing? <laughs> I'm a, I, I'm a musician as well, so I might. Oh, what do you play? Uh, I play drums. Nice. I play drums. Like yeah. uh, like jazz, rock, what kind? Heavy metal, dude. Heavy metal. Wow. Who's your favorite uh, yeah. metal artist? Right now, Lamp of God. Actually, Lamp of God is my all-time favorite. Um, I'd say a close second would be Slayer. Like, I saw them uh, live. Like Thrash. Uh, like quite Thrash. I used to like Thrash. Well, I'd say Slip. Eh, not Slipknot. I like Slipknot when I was a kid. But mm, it's hard. It's hard to pick your favorite band. It's always hard. But I, I can definitely say Lamb of God, number one. So is like, is drums for you, is it like a kind of, is it a release from work? Is it somewhere that you think you can take business-wise or is it, you know, just a purely hobby? It's, I've always wanted to play drums and I, I, I started playing drums in college and I used to like practice like four hours every night, just go there sometimes by myself. So very, very, very satisfied uh, roommates, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So I'm not sure if oh, it's like, a release. It's, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's just something that that's just relaxing. You come out, you know, you, you go, you jam, you, you know, you practice, whatever you come out, you're like, ah, okay. That was good. We all, we all have the man. Like for me personally, it's training and like gym and working out and stuff like that. It's like okay. the place where I can really focus on something else. is isn't work or it isn't, yeah. you know, necessarily just advancing my career and this and that. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a whole yeah. nother lane that I can really invest my time and my energy yeah. into. And I think something you touched on earlier, which is important is we're fed through social media and all of this these days that you have to be on a hundred percent. You have to hustle, you have to grind, you got to get your routine down to a science and this and that. And everything that you do is supplementing this bigger picture, which is your career. Generally speaking, your career, you yeah. make it right. But I think it's so important from my own experience. It's something I've really appreciated so, to have that totally release in that other thing. That, yeah. I totally agree with you. In fact, one of the other things that I, I like to do is, and I feel restless if I don't know this, is kind of learn something new, either not as a skill or something, but like learn something new about myself in some ways, like, because I, I, it's, it's very satisfying to kind of figure out, Oh, this is why I do this like this, you know? And then you kind of articulate that to yourself, that, and, and also learning new skills and new hobbies. It's kind of, it's fun. It's engaging. So you mean like self-improvement and self-discovery well, like psychology? Yeah, I, I, so I, I'd rather dig into psychology. I, I read like uh, research papers sometimes. Nice. Read research nice. papers kind of. Because like the whole self-improvement thing is like so, becomes so... Yeah, it's like a charade almost with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, Charlatans, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, so have you heard, and this is probably a conversation we can have, so it's another time, but it's very unrelated. But uh, yeah. Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung. Yep, yep. So yep. a lot of times psychology kind of, kind of, you know, kind of dips into the whole uh, philosophy side of things. And I think th those two are very closely related in a lot of ways. And it's really important. So, and, and talk, speaking of entrepreneurship, it's like, you can either, so when, when taking, making the choice, making the, the decision to kind of start up, for example, is not easy because you don't know what the hell to do. So like when I first 
got out of college and I started my first thing, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And I'm probably going to fail at this, right? But then it's still going headfirst into that. Yeah. Because when you come out of the come out on the other side, you're a, you've learned something and you've you've got you've you've kind of upgraded yourself to a point where you can probably do something similar in the near future. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what it's all all about, right? Because like most people that I know, um, they have a job and they have a loan and they have kids and you know they have all that stuff set up for them, but they never really got a chance to discover who they really are. Mm-hmm. In a way, and I I I feel it's well that's a that's a practical thing to do. I totally get that. Right. But, um, for me personally, it's like, you know, I, 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 I won't be happy with all those things given to me and not knowing, uh, my full potential of what I can do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, that definitely resonates with me and I'm sure it resonates with James as well. Um, it's like, yeah, uh, we, we had, we had a guest like last week, right? James was talking about, the the act of doing helps you to learn things so he he always referred it to swimming so it's like you can learn learn about swimming in a via a book or a whiteboard but it's completely different to when you're actually in the pool and then you have to put yourself in the situation to actually know what it feels like feel like you're drowning to then learn how to actually swim 100 and so this is actually literally what so i i picked hyper island for to do my master's because they had this philosophy they were like you learn by doing so you so my experience there was like you you go there and uh, the first week is orientation the second week you start working on a client project straight off they don't teach you anything you're like you know they start a project and while you do the project you kind of learn uh, some new stuff and that's also how i got into bubble so like how did i learn bubble i built that first app of mine so i think that's really powerful learning by doing 100% Project for people that don't know what what is Hyper Hyper Island because previously when you said you went to Manchester I assumed it was just a, you know a standard university degree but now after looking it up uh, so, it, it looks mm, anything but standard. It is not standard. <laughs> I originally wanted to go to MIT Media Lab and uh, I was like you know if I don't go there I'm going to go to a super creative place um, because I want to do do something super multidisciplinary so I didn't get into media MIT Media Lab fair enough. Um, so I applied to Hyper Island and um, there's a design school in Copenhagen as well. So Hyper Island, I liked because they have this philosophy, like they put you, they throw you in the deep end of the pool and then they teach you how to swim, right? And you get to work on, on projects. So I, I worked on a, on a design challenge for Manchester City Football Club while I was there and Manchester Airport, you know, all these organizations that have like real challenges that they're facing. Yeah, and then they put well, you in a team, and they yeah, and they tell you you've got a month, figure this shit out, and and wow. tell us how to solve it, or tell us your take on how we can solve it, and then we sat down and we came up with something. That's amazing. We presented it to them. That's amazing. Yeah. So what did you build for Manchester United Football Club? We have a big fan here in the in the in the call. Manchester Man City. Oh, he said Man City. Oh, he said Man City. Oh, you're, oh, you're I was fan. about to hang up the call. I was about oh to... wow! No, no wonder he looks so depressed. I was sorry. I know, what man. What the hell happened? It's 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 a it's a yeah it's a slightly dark time for United, but they'll be back. They'll be back. You sound like a big football fan. So, I I am for sure for sure, and uh, I don't I don't have a team. Uh, my team used to be Madrid, Real Madrid. Yeah. But then I realized um, I'm not from Madrid. I'm from India. So why the hell do I have, like? What's the what's the connection? So I that was pretty hard. It's, funny. it's actually funny you, you say that because as I get older, it's like you have more of a appreciation for just football in general as a sport exactly. and enjoying the sport um, and something you know something that i would never do is you know, I'd never give praise to another friend club i would yeah. you know what i mean they'd be like full-on fights in school over the teams and like <laughs> are you, were you west london were you north london were you this were you manchester this I've, seen, I've seen stuff going down in manchester you know just after a derby people kind of clash at the at the city center like dude chill it's just, food. I mean, it's it's a big deal, but come on. And they and they try to make the argument to bring beer into the stadiums. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine what's going to happen if they start drinking? Yeah. Jesus. That's actually one of the things we looked at while doing the project for Man City. So they wanted to they wanted to figure out how to become the biggest club in the world. I mean, they're, they're pretty much almost there, but they want to, you know, beat. What, what year was this? Stuff. What year? Nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Oh, okay. 
right? So they'd already won like a lot of ch- uh, friends and, you know, they'd already established yeah. their base. They were doing well. This is the right well. result to take over. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so then they were like, you know, we want to be, be the biggest club in terms of number of fans, essentially, because that's what kind of uh, brings in the revenues and stuff. So we were like, okay, let's figure this out. So I mean, we, we, we tried to figure out how they can get more fans. And we realized that the reason United and Real Madrid and Barcelona are so big is because they've got fans in Asia, you know, and they've got fans in Africa and they've got fans in, you know, all over the place. That's not the UK. So, or not Europe even. So, so then we, tried, we had to dig deeper and we tried to figure out why do people in Asia, for example, how do they pick a team? What do they base that on? And it's, it's completely social uh, dynamics, all of it. Everybody wants to look cool, essentially, like at the heart of it, right? Yeah. So if, 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 I'm, if I'm from Manchester, I definitely have a way better reason to support United or City, depending on, because they've got history and, you know, my grandfather used to be a fan or whatever, you know. But yeah. when you look at these guys, it's like, it's totally different. And so we kind of realized that it was not as close to their heart as it was to people in, in the UK, but it was more about their identity as, uh, in terms of social dynamics. Yeah. So it was very interesting. So we kind of made a presentation about that to city and they were like, so, and they, they, they made an app called citizens two or something. So, so what's the, what's the solution to that? I mean, because the reason why United has so many international fans is purely, you know, the history, the number of trophies over not years, but decades, right? So you have, you know, like something like plenty and plenty of my kind of grandparents' generation and then uncle's generation uh, in Malaysia, where my mom is from, will be supporting uh, United. Uh, it's basically United or Liverpool, right? The teams that were big in the 70s and 80s and 90s, yeah. that kind of time. So how can City, from your perspective and the work you've done, like how can a team like City actually build, almost artificially invade their fan base without actually having those decades of success under their belt? Is there any way they could do that or... Because to my mind, I would think they have to. They social have to media would be yeah. Go on. To my mind, it would be like okay, using social media um, would be able to like completely kind of spread out through throughout the younger generation and accelerate that kind of process through you know your kind of teens and twenties, and that would yeah. lay the foundations for the future. Um, but did you come up with any other concepts? Or? We came up with like so. It's important to look at what a football club is to fans in in Asia, for example. It's not, like I was saying, it's, it's not something that's you know, close to their heart. So how do you capture them? You capture them by, by telling them like, hey, if you're a fan of City, you are cool. And that's done very well by Apple, for example. If you own a, you know, if you're wearing those earpods and walking around in, in public, you feel really cool. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm the coolest guy on, you know, on this sidewalk or whatever. So similarly, if, if they want to do that, they want to ha- beat... United, for example, that's what United did, right? If you're a United fan, say in 2008, if you're a United fan, you're, you're the coolest guy, right? Best day of my life, man. Best day of my life. <laughs> Even after all these years, just the pure, innocent joy of winning the champs in 2008. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's what it's all about. And then, and then since since then, actually, for example, United as well, the number of their fans in uh, in Asia and other places has dropped because their form has dropped for whatever reason. Exactly. So it's, it's very volatile in that way. So you definitely, so you, you can't control who's going to win matches, right? City might win the Prem this year, may not win the Prem next year. We don't know that, but they want to make sure that people are still hooked onto the idea that, you know, having Man City as their identity is, is cool. So and then the way to do that would be- like you know, The strategy uh, of kind of like buying marquee players, you know, the Haaland signing yeah. and this and that. It's not just for the trophies. You're absolutely right. It's about buying exactly. those players and those individuals that are most popular with a certain generation. And it's a trend you see, exactly. particularly in sports. You see it particularly in football and basketball, the NBA. People don't yeah. care about team that much anymore. It's much more of a focus <laughs> yeah. on the player. It's true, right? Because we're, we're yeah. almost conditioned, you know, anyone in their teens and 20s these days is all over social media. So yeah. you're conditioned to see the world in a series of 10-second clips. And of course, you're not what you're not sitting there like maybe our dad's generations and watching the whole game with like a beer in front of the TV, right? Yeah. We're actually sitting there and watching 10 second clips of Neymar doing skills, exactly. you know, like KD doing the dunk kind of thing. So we're conditioned yeah, yeah. to think in short bursts 
which puts more of an emphasis on the player. So it's a very that's interesting true. trend in sport. That's very yeah. interesting. Absolutely. And I think Man City's got a good uh, chance to do that now because they just got Haaland. Haaland? What do you say? Haaland, yeah. Because yeah, exactly that guy, my point, right? I think. He's, he's not, not only is he a great player, but he's like a, he's a beast. He's like, he's way beyond where Ronaldo and Messi were at the same age. So if they retain him for a while, they can actually do something with it. I was, I was literally having this argument with, uh, or this conversation with my mate a couple of days ago in uh-huh. terms of, yes, he's further than where Ronaldo and Messi are today, but Ronaldo and Messi are not just kind of quantified on their goal scoring habits. I mean, Harlan could score 300 goals in the He's a striker, yeah. And we'd be like, Absolutely. yeah. But it's also like, you know, it's the qualitative aspects of the way like Ronnie and Messi play in terms of their yeah, skill, yeah. but it's also like the number of clutch moments, the number of Champions Leagues, the number of titles, all that to back it up. If Harlan can't get four or five yeah, champs under his belt, I, I don't even think you can say them in the same breath. I'm actually, I'm actually quite amazed how Ronaldo and Messi are, uh, have been so prolific with goals in spite of not being strikers. They were not strikers. They were wingers or whatever, they were midfielders. I mean, how the hell do you do that? It's just crazy. They, they played in amazing teams in their material generational yeah. talents. That's it. Perfect storm. Yeah. Any, anyway, Ranjit, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Unless, um, Suraj, you have any other questions, uh, I think we can wrap up. I just have one one last question. Like, so what's on what's on the horizon in the next year for, for Atomic Fusion? So 2022, like I was saying, we want to get the marketplace up at least in beta we want to have a first cohort of uh, creators you know selling stuff so that we actually understand how the community responds to that and then how we can grow that into something that everyone's involved in um and then from there i think it's it's about um kind of making uh, atomic fusion a universal place where people store and share what they build on bubble so right now it's very focused on ui so you can build assets that you know are visual but in a lot of cases, you you probably want to set up a database structure in a certain way, and someone's already done that. So you you should be able to kind of reuse what they've done. Um, not only from a database perspective, also from workflow perspectives, API connections, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's where Atomic Fusion would be going in 2023. I would want to set up all of those functionalities and uh, make sure that you know anything that you can do on Bubble, you can share on Atomic Fusion. So it speeds up things and it kind of makes all bubble developers kind of part of this, this community that's not only there and helping each ask answering questions and stuff, but also kind of, you know, sharing what they build and kind of making a whole kind of like GitHub, but a tight knit kind of community uh, of bubblers. That's, that's the plan. Brilliant. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And all the best that with really that nice. as well. I will keep in, we'll keep in touch. And once I come to India, I'll let you know. And then hopefully we can meet Absolutely. up in person too. Absolutely. That would be a pleasure. Great. Right, you, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, James. Yeah, you take care of yourself. Bye. All right, so much. See ya. Bye. Bye.